welcome to Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. Uh, I'm Spencer. There's no Joel this episode, but he'll be back soon enough. This is the final Pasolini uh, episode we're doing for a season because I have to be reasonable and uh, stop forcing Joel to watch Pasolini because uh, he's, he's not the biggest fan and there's other stuff to talk about. So this is paired with... Uh, uh, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which has not been recorded as of this recording. And this episode, uh, ha- we have two special guests. Actually, one first-time guest when returning. Um, returning guest, uh, who are you? I am Scott Thorough. It's good to be back. It's It's been a little bit. I think the last time we were together, we were doing... Um, to sleep with anger or mo- more better blues, I believe. One of, One of the them. Two. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm glad you're back on. Uh, you know, you, it, you, it doesn't have to be like a something you're familiar with. You can come on for any old thing; it doesn't matter. And I'm happy to be back on. It's been a little bit. The the world has changed, you know, and it's just, you know, I'm happy to be here. And thanks for having me. You're welcome. And uh, a new guest, uh, who are you? I am John Arminio, and it's uh, wonderful to be welcomed to uh, Shoot the Piano Player. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, uh, John, you and I were on uh, Movies from Hell. Yes. Uh, was it two years ago? Time moves weird now. I, I can't really remember. I don't know. Well, we talked about Elio Petri films and... and um... In in Totomoto, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of people hunkered down and where time loses all meaning in, in itself. So I think not remembering the exact chronology is appropriate. Yeah. And actually, Totomoto remind I feel like a little bit uh, reverse. This famous thing of Totomoto in certain ways and probably was influenced in some, in some ways. But, uh, yeah, so this is, uh, didn't even title episode yet. Uh, usually Joel does that lot stuff. Yeah, so this is The Gospel According to St. Matthew by Pier Paolo Pasolini. This was, I believe, the movie that got him put, uh, in trouble with, uh, with the Communist Party in Italy at the time. I think it might be the one where, the, what made them kick him out of the, of the party. Uh, yeah. Or maybe it was homophobia, or who knows why they kicked him out. Well, yeah, they, uh, Pasolini had a, uh, a talent for angering all sorts of people, but yeah, uh, this movie did um, raise the ire of both, initially at least, the, the Catholic Church and the, the communists who, you know, were at, professed atheists and said that they didn't like uh, such a talented artist to be making this seemingly religious film, but um, I, I'm fascinated uh, uh, by it, so I'm so happy he made it. Yeah, I have so many thoughts for like the idea that you know, I don't think you cannot take religion, specifically Catholic religion, out of Italian film, or even mm-hmm. to a certain point, Italian American film. You know what I mean, like. Yeah, because when it, I it, watch, yeah. oh, pardon. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, when we were texting about this a while ago, Scott, you 
you you made a joke or maybe wasn't a joke that like isn't the catholic church the supporting character of every italian movie (laughs) yeah i was about to say that i had like i had set up that sentence i was about to say it even more eloquent than that it's all good but yeah as i was watching some uh pasolini movies and fellini movies and bertolucci movies and and, he, and also like Abel Ferreira and Martin Scorsese, who both found this movie as inspiring. I'm like, oh, snap. Like the Catholic Church is, is a character in all of these movies in a way. So to separate them, it just it doesn't work for me. I don't think you can. Yeah, it's but I can see how that it was a, it was a big issue at the time. Yeah, because uh, uh, well, first off, uh, what what are your your guys's experience with Pasolini uh, films? Um, I have limited experience. I, I've seen uh, Theorem and Mama Roma and One Hundred Twenty Days of Sodom, uh, but that's it. But I've done some background research into his life, but I am uh, by no means an expert. Do you like uh, Pasolini overall? I, I I have a gut feeling it's probably on a no, but uh. um, I uh well, hundred twenty hundred twenty days of Sodom. No, thank you. Uh, but I, I really do like um Gospel according to Saint Matthew and and Mama Roma, and I just think Theorem is just just not for me. I, I admire that he made it, but it, it's just not to my taste. Yeah, I mean. If you don't like that, there then there's like probably like half of his movies are are not really for you. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Scott? Yeah, I, I, the Gospel according to Saint Matthew is is my preferred, you know, notable work, and the you know the other movies you you've referenced, I, I do like. He's he he's not my favorite, but this movie at least for me has a lyricism and tempo and and palette that really works for me and and of course um my favorite pasolini movie is abel ferreira's movie about pasolini yeah it's been on my list of eventually i'll get to it and i'm still now that still haven't uh, made a point to watch it yet i mean that would be a, a wild um you know podcast season of trying to go through of Abel Ferrara um, it would be tough I'll tell you that much yeah I feel like getting at least like the, the later ones would be the, the, the biggest challenge of, of the whole season there's hit and miss like there's some he's he made Tommaso from two years ago is fantastic so he he has some he still makes some bangers yeah, yeah uh, I think like uh, like any true artist he's taking big swings and he can miss uh occasionally or more often than not but you know more power to him oh he makes a lot of misses yeah. but i i was res- i was res- i really respect that though yeah because like hmm. as a you know i'm a musician and i've made hundreds of songs that no one will ever hear but i'm happy that i make them you know and like continue to challenge myself um, yeah, I guess as a as a director, you can't just not release a movie if it doesn't turn out the way you want it. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can, you can sort of do that, 
you know, David O. Russell kind of did that with a movie that he started and decided not to finish. But for the most part, that doesn't happen. Hmm, yeah, I have a friend from the UK who, the first time he came to America, he saw, I think, Alan Ball, the um, TV guy. Uh, I don't know if he directed that never got released that like he he happened to be like one of a few people at the at like the one screening and uh he said it, it was he he said the movie was really bad and uh <laughs> he has never seen, seen seen a poster or anything of it since then that's too bad yeah yeah uh um interesting sorry i had a i had a thought but then and moved on. So yeah, the gospel according <laughs> to St. Matthew. Yeah. So um first to get out of the way, there's like the, the classic quote from Pasolini of why he picked St. Matthew. It was uh Mark is too vulgar, uh Luke is too sentimental, mm-hmm. and John is too mystical. And uh I, I went to a Catholic school for how many years was it? Like ten or eleven years? Twelve years? I, I haven't done than a math quite yet but um yeah and like so like we didn't really do much bible study which i i kind of learned like as kind of a like the, the joke with the catholics is like oh they don't really study the bible that much it's more like the history and doctrine side of things not the like formal study at least in, in my in my case yeah um i mean i I didn't go to Catholic school, but I did go to CCD as a kid um, for a long time, uh, which is Sunday school for Catholics, and in that we did Bible study. Um, I went to Sunday school for Jews. <laughs> so not much gospel reading in, in those classes? I had one teacher who was comfortable talking about other faiths, but for mm-hmm. the most part we didn't. Hmm. And I, I guess it's, I think that sent that statement from Pasolini is, is interesting, and I think he's, he's right in the sense that you know Mark is vulgar because I think it's very much like well here's the simple version of what's going on, um, and John is definitely mystical, but I, I don't get why he thinks Luke is sentimental, like it's definitely. The mo- the gospel most concerned with like Jesus's mercy, uh, and um, Jesus's concern for for women in the church. Um, I don't know why that comes off as sentimental to him, but but I think mm. as as far as narrative goes, uh, Matthew is is where it's at. Um, I think John is interesting because it opens very cinematically because the other gospels open with you know the the birth of Jesus, but. John opens with John the Baptist preaching in the desert, you know, crying out, I am the voice in the desert telling you to make way the path of the Lord. And so it just, it's immediately very striking. Yeah, that sounds like a John Millius movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, was, I was thinking to myself, like, if there was a, a director of this period to do a gospel according to John, it'd be Alan Rene, it'd be the... St. John by Amor or something. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, I can see that. And like seeing like the quote, I, I immediately thought of a, like if there was a St. Luke version, 
they would have been like like uh like maybe like eighties era uh uh Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> or like the or the gospel according to Mary, you know, done by Ettore Scola would be pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Um The Special Days, that movie haunts me to this day. Mm. Uh, so uh well well Scott, uh what's uh, do do you have like any formal like education or like uh history with like the Christian Bible or I don't know how I don't know how 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 to phrase it like uh, uh I I find that I I find different types of religions very fascinating and I had friends that were from different faiths who would lend me books and we would talk about them so I am familiar with um the the New Testament as well as the Old Testament and the Quran and certain apocryphal texts and certain gnostic texts and things of that nature I definitely find you know, tales, not tales, but different versions of, of Jesus's story to be very moving, like the Aquarian gospel, um, or the idea that, that there's, you know, uh, temples in Eastern Asia that could sort of say that it was possible that Jesus was there during his time away. And, and I sort of, as a, I guess my my faith is at this point is Taoist, I guess, of some, but but like in a very Taoist way, like whatever is happening is happening. But I also find the compassion of Jesus as written about Jesus, you know, to be very relatable, you know, because mm-hmm. he was a a homeless Jewish. Uh, socialist who's like just trying to hang out with people that didn't always get a lot of love and and I'm a Jewish socialist who works in a hospital social work setting like helping people who also might have been pushed away from society so I think the parable of of Mm -hmm. Jesus is incredibly powerful and significant and potential for healing and love and there have been some incredible events sprung by that and also some not so incredible events sprung from that, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that, that's, that's my relation. And, uh, I, I try, I started, I tried to read the, the King James Bible when I was 18 or 19. Cause I was curious cause I just wanted to see the difference and mm-hmm. Revelations, Revelation, excuse me, I lost that in a in a Jeopardy match once because it's Revelation, uh-huh. not Revelations. Um, that's a wild book, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a YouTube channel that does like mythology breakdowns, and there's and they do like uh, uh, like a secular view of the Bible going through like the history. And like uh, when it was written, and, and they did one on the Book of Revelation, and uh, and, and like uh, their interpretation is like it was most likely just like a coded text for 
uh, and like that was anti-Roman propaganda, mm-hmm. basically like a, a way of saying like the the Antichrist isn't like a demon; it's it's the Roman emperor. Yeah, exactly. I think it, I think it was the time of Nero or around the time of Nero when it was uh, being written. Yeah, I can't remember. Or, yeah, I, I I think you're right. Yeah, but I I I guess like you know f- for me. As far as my own like personal belief system, I, I've just always found it extraordinary that you know Jesus comes at a time when you know Israel is an occupied nation, um, and the people of Israel are waiting for somebody to a military leader to lead them out of of bondage, you know, again. And, you know, the, the occupying force is one of the greatest militaries the world has ever seen. Uh, a military that takes pride in its monstrous slaughter of innocent people. Like, like the Trajan's Column is a monument to the slaughter of, of unarmed civilians. And here comes Jesus, somebody, you know, in the face of this monstrous occupation, in the face of people asking for military leadership to to preach mercy and forgiveness and, and understanding and and to, to reach out to lepers and, and Gentiles and prostitutes. And I, I've just always found that... Incredibly radical. Yes. Yeah, He when he says he comes not to bring peace but bring a sword, he's not talking about a little violence. He's coming to upend the entire social order. Um, and I, I just have always found that very profound. Like this approach of the movie being like neo realist, mm-hmm. uh, like pseudo documentary, is just like uh, it, it's it's insanely powerful, which was like redundant to say about this movie. But like framing Jesus as like how he's written in the Bible, how exactly written, and not how like you know politicians and certain churches like to portray him. It's like oh, this is this is like awesome and radical, and like like the, the message is. <laughs> is a good message. It's just you know, certain people twisted in uh, in, in in certain ways. That's you know, we, we all know like like how it can be justified in this country for horrible things. And it's like, oh, you people, like I don't, sometimes I can't tell if it's like if it's sincere that like uh, sincerely ignorant or they or they drew it on purpose because like that that's always like the hard part to tell. They're doing it on purpose. They know better, I believe, most of the time. Yeah, I would. I would have to agree. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I yeah. think even at the what, what, yeah. even at well, the, I guess maybe like people I've met who were part of those like those sects were more sincerely ignorant who didn't really, didn't really think much into it. Maybe. I meant the leaders, not necessarily the okay. people who follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe just because, I'm sure it was just because of who Pasolini was, there's a real knee-jerk reaction to this movie that, that it's, as far as reviews go, that it's like a leftist interpretation of the Bible. But it's it just, you know, literally Jesus' words um, presented in a very unvarnished and, and, and stark manner. And, and there's some certainly beautiful imagery in it. Um, but I, I just think it's it's so compelling because it is just so so literal a manifestation of of what the Gospel of Matthew is. 
So, uh, I, I guess we kind of explained it uh, already, but like, how, how would you guys explain what this movie is? John, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. I mean, yeah. Um, it's it's sort of a direct translation to film of the Gospel according to Matthew, um, using almost entirely non-professional actors. Um, the, the setting is incredibly stark. Uh, uh, a rural desert in Italy um, and, and almost a pseudo-documentary style of chronicling the life and, and preaching of Jesus. Um, and, you know, Pasolini said that he... It's a movie that sort of manifests his nostalgia for belief. And, you know, people criticize him for, for making this, um, saying that, you know, a non-believer has no place making a movie about Jesus, and his response is that, well, if you call me a non-believer, you know my beliefs better than I do. Um, mm. So I think it's it's a real genuine exploration of the ideas of Jesus as well. Absolutely. And, like, they use a lot of, mostly the language from the, the catechisms and the writings. Yeah. Yeah, every word Jesus said is directly from the gospel. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what like, about uh, you, Spencer? How how I describe this? Yeah, and do you like it? Uh, I do. Well, uh, I like it not as much as other Pasolini's. Um, I like this style of uh, when Pasolini does like this type of more like direct yet elliptical. I think elliptical is the right word. This like direct, but also like you know symbolic, uh, like dip, like a uh, type of style. But uh, yeah, for me, this movie is just is I I was always sold to me like the I heard about it for years and always described it as like it's you know it's the communist version uh, uh, interpretation. But like what John said, like it's literally just the the it's literally just the Gospel of Matthew put the film, and it's like there's. Like there is a political leaning given its past lean, but still there's just the uh, the the aspect of, but it, it it's also just directly everywhere dialogue is from the it's from the gospel of Saint Matthew. Yeah. And Jesus is a radical leftist. In for me, you cannot read the words of him and the actions of him and and what he preached and somehow give a right wing interpretation. Yeah. He demands the rich sell all their possessions and give them to the poor. That's prosperity yeah. gospel yeah. is so antithetical yeah. to um, these teachings. So that's why when people are like, "Oh, how do you feel about Jesus?" I'm like, "I mess with Jesus. Like, why not? He, you know, you know, because I I do believe in radical love and radical kindness and." And helping people. Yeah, like, uh, this is a weird comparison, but like the to me, it, it visually felt like the opposite version of Hard to Be a God, the Russian film. Yo, I was thinking about Hard to Be a God when I was rewatching this movie today. So, good on you. I was wondering if I was going to bring that movie up. So, please, 
Uh, yeah, because like this, the the style of it and like the very like direct nature of everything, where it's like it's not subtle at all. It's just like this is like th like this is the movie. It's not trying to bullshit you or anything. Like this is this is it, and it's like this really immersive, beautiful. Or like hard to be a god is just like what if Tarkovsky stalker. But like it's really gross and vile and like covered in mud and shit, and this is like, well, I guess it's still, there's a grossness to some degree. But like, but this is like, but what if it's not like an oppressively, uh, difficult movie to sit through? What if it's you know like, uh, like, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, I I completely disagree with you that it's like stalker, but but with with. Yeah piss and shit but that's fine we're allowed to disagree um yeah. a, i just a, think yeah. i'm more in terms of like it's the anti-tarkovsky yeah i just don't know that i agree with that i think it's if, oh, okay. if, if anything it's maybe an anti pasolini because i feel like hmm. um the world in which hard to be a god exists you could say that that the world based this the script on the scriptures of that book if you know what i mean like mm. if that movie was a was a religious tome you know it's it's very yeah. psychedelic in that way okay, in yeah. in my opinion okay yeah i, I see where you're going with that i should i probably should rewatch hard to be a god I really it's really good i need to see it Have, I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> No, it's it's all good. Have you ever um, seen uh, meetings with remarkable men? I have not. not it's about either. it's about um, the mystic Gurchev, and it's sort of a biography of him, but also a, a telling of his mystical teachings and mystical thoughts. and And he he wrote this. This book, uh, Letters, Tales to Beelzebub, and he was one of the big mystics of the twenty the twentieth century, and I I highly recommend because I was thinking about that movie while 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 rewatching hmm. um, the Gospel according to Saint Matthew today because I like to rewatch movies before I I talk about them, but you know it's a it's about it's about a search for truth. It sounds yeah. fascinating. Thank you. I will put that on my watch list for sure. It's awesome. And uh, besides Hard to Be a God, I'm also thinking of like the story of a radical that inspires people is so like uh, boilerplate and basic. Like we uh, just did an episode with Kessler uh, and some other people on... Um, Melville, and we talk about Army of Shadows, and it's like, oh, Army of Shadows is kind of this uh, this idea of like a radical and a dangerous area who's mm. forced, you know, to like like who for, who believes in what he believes, and you know, ends up getting you know uh, martyred for it. Right. And like, I I just saw the new Indian movie RRR Rise. Oh, I'm R I'm hearing really good things about this. Uh, yeah, I. Well, I'm biased. I love Indian action movies, and it, it genuinely made me cry multiple times in a the theater. It's, 
it, it's it's so much fun and also genuinely meaningful. Carlo, my friend Carlo, friend of the Zebras in America show, um, him and I were talking about that movie probably 40 minutes ago because he was like, that is the movie to see in the theaters this year. So as I'm in, I'm living in Baltimore, I need to either go to Towson or D.C. to see it. But Oh, yeah. I went to the one theater left in Delaware. I was playing it. And uh, I might, if it's still there next week, I might go again next week if I can. There, you mean like the one theater? How many? You mean there's only there's more than one movie theater in Delaware? You're saying the yes. one movie theater that was playing it? Yeah. The, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because like what? My, this is a a, a a tangent, but like a twenty four movies usually play like one or two theaters in the whole state, and I have to drive mm-hmm. like over an hour, so I don't bother going to see eight twenty four movies in the theater anymore because like i don't feel like driving like i don't feel like driving that long for like a two and a half hour movie because that's basically my whole day yeah it's now like five six hours yeah it, i hear you it's yeah seeing movies in theaters is infuriating at this point because like my amc will have a poster of everything everywhere all at once or the outfit but then not show it and it's a twelve screen theater, and they're showing like four movies. It's it's uh, maddening. Certainly not RRR. I'll tell you that. Yeah, which I think would play well in multiplex because it's like it, it's not an art film. It's it, it's mainstream. It's a mainstream movie in India. It's one of the biggest blockbusters they've ever had. But yeah, it just looks awesome. Yeah. But yeah, uh, back to. Uh, uh, Saint, Gospel Saint Matthew, just like this, just like the story of a revolutionary and a dangerous area, uh, like, like you could like the uh, Army of Shadows is like that, almost like the action war movie version. Not that's an action movie; it's a Melvin movie. So like the like the action sequences are like tense and you know effective. That's why I say action for Melville. But like, like you know that like that's like the you know the Melville version of this type of plot in this movie and, and like I can just I can't help but think of uh Pasolini's life because uh he because uh, he was uh, I think a teacher during World War Two, and that's when you know and he, that's when he became radicalized and became a leftist and like you could see this like the like it, it feels personal uh like knowing his history and like uh, his brother was a uh, was an anti-fascist who fought in a, like a uh, in a res- resistance group that was then murdered by um, uh, a fascist uh, um, ambush, and uh, I think like forty four, forty five, but yeah, just it's, a, it's, a, it's like such a universal like message and uh, like plot and everything. Yeah, I think you know, it's it's always dicey trying to um draw direct lines from an artist's life into their into their art but on the other hand it's it's also um inevitable especially when it's somebody like Pasolini whose politics are so much on screen and his life story is so you know fraught with controversy and and is so compelling and and has so much tragedy in it um and so yeah I, I can definitely see how a story of a radical inspiring grand societal change is incredibly personal to him 
And that's what I'm saying. So even a non-religious person can be deeply inspired by these stories yeah. and and find meaning and do things that you might argue are spiritual or beautiful. And I think it was St. Augustine that discovered Christianity by d divining. He was doing a, a pagan tradition and then sauntered on uh, a Christian text and he was like, oh, I'm about this life now. So... Mm. And, and I could also yeah, see somebody who could see, like, all of this inspiring, like, leftist messaging in, in the gospel and then be infuriated by right-wing commodification of that message and then wanting to maybe set the record straight with, with a piece of art. Yeah. I mean, uh, I wanted to keep talking about this other, the other Jesus movie to a minimum, but the Mel Gibson one apparently filmed with the same. I was locations. about, yo, we're smart guys because I was about <laughs> to bring up that movie, and compare and contrast the difference between someone who shows and someone who tells. Yeah, one. I mean, like Mel Gibson seems to love movies about men of peace that are hyper-violent and it's like, I don't understand what you're trying to do here, exactly. He fetishizes violence. Yeah, but then he has, like, Braveheart is ideally about, like, uh, he's trying to be a man of peace, but he's forced into violence. It's like, okay, th this is, like, this is some weird, some fantasy for you, or I guess. I, I, um, I, I have a troubled relationship with Mel Gibson. <laughs> Uh, my 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 relationship is I don't I try not to watch his movies yeah. ever anymore because he's an unrepentant racist. Yeah, and you know if you had asked me, if you'd asked me as a kid, my opinion of Mel Gibson, I would have like loved him, like Road Warrior, man, holy shit. Um, but and so to discover his disgusting views and personal behavior is uh, infuriating. But um, yeah, I, I've. I have no use for The Passion of the Christ. Like, it, it's a good horror movie, I guess. Um, but to, to show, to so fetishize the crucifixion of Jesus without any context um, is pointless. Because there were thousands, millions of people executed by the Roman Empire. Um, and so to just show that story doesn't that doesn't show what's special about the the life of Jesus at all. If anything, it, it right. minimizes it's just, it. Yeah, because it becomes it becomes this thing where I guess for him the importance of the story is the death and the violence, not everything before that. And everything before that is what makes the story wonderful. Yeah. And when when the the masters of film like Pasolini or Martin Scorsese are able to tell their visions of Jesus. You, there's a different softness. There's, there's more attention to the things before. And I, I, yeah, the violence, the unnecessary gratuitous violence without sharing the positivity and the words of Jesus falls flat to me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I have a very complicated relationship with Mel Gibson, and it's it's weird. Yeah, 
I mean, I try watch... not to watch his movies anymore. Which right. is like my, I, my... yeah, I, I'm not thinking too much about it. Um, may I share? Uh, may I share a quote by Simone Weil talking oh. about her relationship with, um, her discovering the Gospels and Christianity later in life. Go for it. Yeah, so Simone Weil was like a leftist philosopher, theologian, activist, and um, she truly believed in in the rights of humans and workers and labor and um, got sick and also came to Jesus and was like really hurt. She was very um, virulent, re virulently resigned to not to really try not to go there. But then as I was talking about, I think it was St. Augustine just mm -hmm. now, I, I remembered that she also found it there in her, in her leftism and in her pain and, and talking about, um, some of her, her things in the prerequisite to dignity of labor. She says, we have only to wipe the mirror to read it, read in its symbols inscribed in matter through eternity. Some are contained in the Gospels, inside a room. If one wishes to think about spiritual death being a prerequisite of true rebirth, one needs words about the seed fertilized by death alone. And there's, there's more, but I think that's really profound when you think about, in my opinion, the way that the story is told in Pasolini's movie or any movie that's not the last temptation of Christ. Yeah, uh, like the. You mean the passion of the Christ? I, I... <laughs> oh yeah, passion of the Christ. Because last temptation of Christ is not my favorite movie, but but there's parts of it that I really find powerful. I I do like Jesus movies. You know, Godspell, um, <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar, sure. yeah. Superman, Harry Potter, yeah. Matrix. Def most definitely. Um. Oh, RoboCop being my that's my favorite one. <laughs> Definitely RoboCop. I mean, uh, but like, you know, don't support J.K. Rowling for sure. But you know, yeah, I'm comfortable saying that. Um, that's what I love about this movie because the movie's mm -hmm. just like so filled with exteriors and movement and obviously gorgeously shot and you can almost it's almost like a fandom you know like like john john you work at a comic book store you deal with people who are engaged in in fans and being around something so then this this movie allows us to talk for the past 30 40 minutes almost about the things outside of it and the 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 things that inspired us outside of it instead of being like well in in scene 13a there's a lens flare that really moved me like we're we're digging deep because a lot of the this movie often feels like a moving painting like my yeah. my favorite painter uh bruegel the elder hmm. yeah uh, uh i mean it does have like the like the past lane like photography that he, mm. that he always did that and that's part of like what I find so moving about it, because th like there are parts like when um when Mary uh, is on the don is on a donkey in the beginning, and like and the music kicks in and like that in that moment like it just 
fills me with awe, and I don't know why. Right. And there are like other moments like that, but that's like, that one in particular. Just every time I've seen it twice, twice already. But like every time, it's like I'm just like this is like this is what movies should be. Moments like this, and I can't explain it beyond like I just, I I just like it's just, it's just beautiful. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the music because I'm fascinated by Pasolini's choices because there was, you know, Motherless Child, which is a, a Negro spiritual, and I I don't know who does the vocals um roger ebert thinks it's odetta um there's a lot of bach a lot of mozart and then um dark was a night colders of ground by blind willie johnson um and that is and to me an incredibly profound choice um and i don't like if you were to ask me how all those musical choices fit with this aesthetic of of Mm -hmm. first century judea i would not be able to explain why but i'm 100% 100% happy and and joyous that these are the choices that Pasolini made. Yeah. And like the Facts. visual the visual language is it's like it's so strong that like like uh what is it? Uh theorem like the first half of that movie is almost entirely silent. And like in this movie like I don't think I don't think the words are necessary but like there, there could be a version of this that Pasolini could have done, where it's silent, but you still get everything. Like it's, it's so, just direct with, uh, with like with, I don't know. It's like it's just, like like the, the the visuals. I feel like do most of the carrying movie, and you know, like, I don't. Uh, I lost my train of thought there. Yeah, and I mean, most uh, all the dialogue is dubbed anyway, and I I'm sure very few of the on-screen actors were doing their own dubbing uh, so yeah it's yeah, yeah the, the actual dialogue you hear is not really paramount to the story but it's like if the words were placed in front of you like a silent movie it would have a similar effect i think yeah the actor who was jesus well uh yeah uh enrique you're, uh, uh, my Spanish is not good. Uh, he he was a Spanish um, uh, university student, and uh, Pasolini just like offered him the role because uh, he uh, he met he met up with Pasolini for some reason. I think interviewing him at first exact reason, and Pasolini was like, "Do you want to play Jesus in my in my movie?" <laughs> and <laughs> that's how he ended up in the movie. What a trip that would and, be. <laughs> And Enrique ended up becoming a, uh, what was it? Uh, he became like a, a like a professor at a university later on. He died, I think, last year, or like, it's fairly recent. Yeah the, yeah, the whole acting style of everything is pretty, like, unaffected, um, as opposed to, you know, especially something like Last Temptation of Christ, which is, you know, very earnest. In, in, in every mm. moment um, but I just think that helps this movie um, stand out from from all those other from all those other depictions of Jesus and, and especially like like visually um, you know there is the stereotypical version of what America thinks Jesus looked like and and Enrique is definitely not that like he's he's so slight 
and kind of unassuming. Um, and so when he reaches moments of anger, I think it's it's shocking that he he gets to those those places. True. Did you either of you see um, uh, Bruno Dumont's uh, Joan of Arc? I did not know. Uh no. It's it's a sequel to the chi- the childhood of Joan of Arc, and they're like these sort of naturalistic musicals about Joan of Arc. And the first one is like a medical metal musical about hmm. this young kid having visions, and it's good. But Joan is great, and it's about her trial and all of that. And you know, Bruno Dumont also would work with non-actors or just try to get a naturalistic feel. And I, I feel like you could watch that movie in black. If you made that movie black and white and took off the music, you'd just be like engulfed in it. I highly recommend it. It's like one of one of my sleeper favorite movies of 2020. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and I'm also, sorry. I'm I'm also just I as far, you know we're talking about like hmm. Christian imagery. I just find you know Joan of Arc to be particularly fascinating, and Joan of Arc, John Brown, Martin Luther King, all different hmm. types of people. But you know. Yeah, and like uh, the all the supernatural elements. Uh, of like that are in the gospel of uh St. Matthew and this are treated very casually like mm-hmm. Jesus walks on water and it's not it's not like a like like the big moment it's just treated as like yeah he, he just walks on water mm-hmm. no big deal he and it's like the, yeah the devil shows up and, and like, it's just the guy and the angels like just like uh like a young girl and nothing mm-hmm. special and uh, which actually it's a good good excuse to talk about this. Uh, I love the Old Testament because for like the Jewish mythology angle, because like there's uh, like the angels in it are like so weird and terrifying, and there's like so much uh, like I don't say nightmarish imagery to it, but just like that like the specific like uh, you know I, 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 Jewish mythology. I guess I don't know what the right term would be. Of like the the of the beast and like the like the more folkloric side of things is like so fascinating to me. Yeah, and uh, you remember that Darren Aronofsky movie about Noah's Ark? Uh yeah. There were some moments in there that I really liked. Yeah, yeah. There were some. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I, it, it's not a movie that completely works, but it's. Certainly, an, an interesting one. I agree. Yeah, uh, I don't know if anyone listening has looked up like Old Testament angels, but they are not here. They're wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they sure. are like wings and eyes, and it's more unsettling than it is beautiful. And there is an Instagram account called I think like Biblically Accurate Angels Only. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I grew up. I grew up like listening to, you know, rap music in the 90s and a lot of many rappers were into stuff like, you know, uh, Zachariah Sitchin and, you know, the books where it's like the 10th planet or Behold the Pale Horrors and things of that nature. So like growing up 
I was like, maybe there is a 10th planet and all of the, actually, there's seven different words for angel in the Bible. Actually, those aren't angels. Those are like alien buddies and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then there's that whole show where it's like, are they aliens? Uh, what, what's this angel page again? Oh, it, it's it's something like biblically accurate angels only or, or something like that. I can't recall exactly. Nice. Yeah. And, and the whole ancient aliens thing. Like when I first heard it when I was younger, it sounded cool. But then you dig deeper and realize, oh, it's it's just racism. Yeah. <laughs> it's all boils down. Indians too. couldn't build pyramids. Ridiculous. <laughs> no, it's totally racist. It, yeah. No cap. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, oh, oh, there's one, there's one uh artist, uh person we I have not brought up that I've been made to bring up, uh, John Waters. He loves he loves Pasolini. He and he has a, I I, I did not find a website again, but he he lists his favorite Jesus movies, and um, he said that, uh, this is like the most genuinely moving Jesus movie to him and like it's just like in, in the most unironic way like he he genuinely loves this movie and finds it just like you know inspiring and beautiful and in fact like john waters who is like you know it you know like he, he's his art is what it is so like but the fact that he he generally loves this movie to this to that degree and like won't even make fun of it is well he does make fun of one movie but like it's it just really shows how powerful it is yeah, I, John Waters himself is a fascinating figure. I'm always interested uh, to hear his opinions on anything, but I I can definitely understand like, the from the heart appeal of this movie. You know, because it it's such just a genuine piece of art. Like, I really do like the Franco Zeffirelli TV version from the mm-hmm. '70s, but that's also such like a production. You know, like James Earl Jones shows up for two minutes as a magi. Like it's. Yeah. You know, and it definitely is a kind of thing like after Laverne and Shirley, stay tuned for Jesus of Nazareth. Like it, it, it doesn't feel like um, anything close to the art, the you know the the passion that I can feel from Pasolini in in this movie. Yeah, and uh, and uh, in Multiple Maniacs, the I think the first feature John Waters did. Uh, there's. Um, a sequence where Divine, I think Divine's character is called Divine in it, is getting a rosary job, uh, anal beads basically in a church, and it's basically just like a, like a John Waters version of, uh, the Gospel according to Saint Matthew, <laughs> but it's done in this very genuine way where it's like it's a joke, but also it feels like oh they generally like are into what they're doing, like this isn't meant to be like haha Christians are dumb it's treated like no like the characters in the scene genuinely like believe this and are, are, and are into the message of Jesus <laughs> only John Waters yeah yeah that scene also features uh, someone shooting up heroin which was probably someone really doing that at, at that at, at that church in Baltimore okay uh I don't have much else to say besides, like, I generally find this movie, like, oh, um, for those who didn't hear the Pasolini 100 episode, like, for me, Pasolini is, like, this sounds pretentious, and I don't know how to explain 
passionately beyond that for me besides like I find his movies to be intellectually exciting because like his movies always make me think about things no matter how many times I've seen them in different ways and think about different ideas like politically religiously and uh, like I just I just love I just love Pasolini movies even ones I don't like that much I still will rewatch gladly because like his movies just like intellectually like they just give me like a, a charge so um were you familiar with Pasolini before you embarked on the Shoot the Piano Player project? Uh, yes. I knew uh, of Sallow, obviously, and one other I knew. And probably this one because of John Waters. And that was really about it. And so, like, uh, started with Teorama, which is, like, kind of like the go-to one. It's like, if you're not into that, then maybe skip, but I, but Mama Roma is probably like the only like quote unquote normal movie he ever made. But Mama Roma still is great. Yeah, Mama Roma is really the best way to sort of get your feet wet in in the world of Pasolini. All right, uh, this movie is easily available. It's uh, it's everywhere. It's on Tubi. There, it's on YouTube. There's probably Criterion DVD somewhere. It's it's uh. You know, if you're interested in in it, give it a shot. I, I say this to everyone, if you're listening you haven't seen it, give it a shot. And, oh, I agree. Yeah. And Pasolini, you can't really spoil. It's His movies aren't really structured like that. They're too, you know, too, too much about ideas. So, like, it doesn't matter, like, you know, if you know, if you know everything. So, uh... And... Tubi is just low key so good. They have so much good stuff on there. Yeah. Uh, what else? Okay. So, well, I, for my recommend. Sorry, uh, I I, I just wanted to you. say that you know even though a lot of these the the cast is not actors, Pasolini just has this talent for finding indelible faces. Like you can just pr- project. Real so much emotion and depth and history onto the people that he pu- he puts on screen uh and and so I, I think that's a singular talent that he has oh yeah okay. uh um kind of like scorsese his mom is in the movie is uh the older virgin yeah. mary uh is his is his actual mom uh Pasolini's actual mom which is pretty cool which I I, I kind of wonder if maybe that's where Scorsese got the idea from to put his mom in everything. <laughs> Italian boys and their moms, inseparable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 1964. Uh, I have a quick recommendation. It's the. This is a category that the listeners are very familiar with. It's I have the book, but I haven't read it yet. Uh, Arrow of God by Chinua Achebe. It's the oh, yeah. final part of the Africa trilogy. I've only read the first one, Things Fall Apart, but I've I've owned the whole trilogy for a while. Um, I just want to you know bring up you know, Achebe. He's uh, Things Fall Apart is genuinely one of my favorite uh, books I've read in the past decade. It's heartbreaking and uh, just uh, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, so there's that, and what movies was it? 
It was Gay of Flesh, the Suzuki movie. came out this year. I wrote about it on my Japanese movie site, which I haven't updated in over a year. Uh, Gay of Flesh is great. And the other one was... Oh, Lemonade Joe, the Czech movie. Is uh, If you like... I don't know, it's Czech, so it has that like very weird abstract sensibility to it. And the Coen brothers probably saw it because the costume of the main character shows up in... I always forget the name of that new Coen Brothers movie. Uh, Buster, Buster Scruggs yeah, or whatever? Scruggs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Buster Scruggs outfit uh, is identical to the outfit in Lemonade Joe, this Czech comedy from the 60s. Czech musical comedy. Oh, yeah, musical comedy. <laughs> well, in... In talking about musical comedies, I would be remiss to not mention my recommendation, My Fair Lady, based on Pygmalion. I just think it's an awesome musical. I like musicals. Um, I like the story. Uh, yeah, I just I love that movie. My partner and I we watched that movie as like we were falling in love because she loved that movie too and. I just think it's a great movie as far as like musicals go. There's some pretty good musicals from 1964, but Audrey's my favorite actress, but that's one of the few I still haven't seen. Dude, it's like a really lovely movie. Yeah. Getting uh, to know you, getting to know all about you. Yeah, just just giving you a little singing beautiful today. Okay. Uh, got any... I like how John was like beautiful and Spencer was like okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you got any? Uh, you seem tired, so I I don't want to uh, force you on too, too much longer. <laughs> um, uh, do you have any other movies or books or anything? Not that I can think of. I'm I'm not tired. I have um oh. my voice is going, so it okay. sounds like I'm tired. But okay. I just wanted I just wanted to sing you a song. You can continue singing if you want to. I did it already. We <laughs> had right. our moment. <laughs> okay, next time. Actually, okay. when we're done recording, I'll tell you about next season. Uh, uh, okay, so John, uh, you, uh, what's going on for you? Uh, oh, um, at some point, uh, there's going to be a podcast posted on the Pink Smoke, uh, where me, Bill Tech, John Cribs, and Chris Funderburg talk about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Uh, oh, I meant re- recommendation. Oh, I'm wise. sorry. Um, <laughs> um, recommendation. I'm going to uh, recommend the Outer Limits episode, "Demon with a Glass Hand," uh, starring Robert Culp, written by Harlan Ellison, about a time traveling soldier. A subject Harlan Ellison loved to write about, but who's has a hand that is made of glass and is sentient and seems to have. A lot of information behind it, and he's trying to escape the people who are trying to kill him. It's an extraordinary performance from Robert Culp, um, so highly recommended. Oh, I just remember something I meant to bring up. So this came up episode, I think, last year at some point. Uh, I have a family friend who uh, their uncle, their I think yes, their grandfather's older brother was martyred during the Mexican Revolution at a seminary and he has blessed status in the Catholic Church. Oh, wow. This wow. was within the last decade, I think. 
Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, the, uh, I, I, that's how I learned that they're Mexican. I thought they were Italian my whole life, but their name is like you. You pronounce it Yara. I said it, I said Jara for years, but uh, yeah. So it's like I don't I don't know his name. I haven't looked it up, but um, yeah. So like the yeah. So like it, it, it's it's kind of cool. Like get, like knowing like I have a family family friend that's like connected that way to like mm-hmm. history and you know <laughs> has that status. Pretty powerful yeah. status. Yeah. And, um, oh yeah. This I was singing from the king and i um getting to know you from the king and i um the jam from from uh my fair lady is wouldn't it be lovely lovely that's the jam king and i is not so good is that one kind of racist like not kind of okay like just just straight up um Oh, John, did you have anything uh, no, else? No, j- just that one Outer Limits episode. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. So for me coming up, uh, uh, Movies from Hell, I did an episode, uh, episode on Wakamatsu. That was... Uh, oh, trigger warning. We talk about... Because um, uh, certain, certain, certain things people should be warned about. Uh, Wakamatsu made really kind of extreme movies and usually rape would show up so we kind of just have to have to talk about that with these movies yeah. so um um yeah but if you if you uh aren't bothered by it then watch his movies there if you look online you can find them but they are I, I i can only describe it as i've never seen anything quite like it in a good way and mostly in a good way and um yeah it, it was a fun discussion his movies are just wild and i i don't know how to describe them just you kind of have to see them for yourself you just gotta go for it yeah his movie the ones i watched were about an hour long a piece roughly so uh yeah so there's not 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 much time investment either so uh and besides that oh i'll I might be on Mustachioed Podcastio again. Uh, I've been on a couple times already. Uh, and I think that's it. There are other other episodes of this show will be around. I don't know what, what will come out around this time. I, I kind of gave up on a normal schedule uh, a while ago for this season. So. Same. <laughs> yeah. Right, uh, uh, John. Uh, sorry, I, I interrupted your plug. No, sorry, I, I got uh, my wires crossed. My apologies. Um, no, but that's uh, all the plugs I have. I know at, at some point uh, I'm also going to be on Movies from Hell again. Uh, Bradley and Dan are Bradley and Dan are fun dudes to talk to, but we haven't set an exact recording date yet. And you're going to be on Zebras in America anytime, day. Scott. I would love to. Yeah, we just got to, you know, Marcus yeah. had a baby. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I can be patient. Um, well, I, but I will be very happy and pleased to be invited on. So thank you very much. Word up, uh, Scott. Any albums or anything? 
coming out. I mean, you can still like Tree's been out for a year. I recommend checking it out. I also just made a an EP with Safari Al that is interesting, but I forgot the name off the top of my head right now. But yeah, check out Scott Thorough Bandcamp. Check out Zebras in America. Be nice to people. Um, don't be rude to people in the service industry. Show compassion. Yeah, yeah, and I would highly recommend Scott's albums. Uh, uh, I'm in college again, and some and this last few semesters have been very stressful. And uh, there are a number of tracks on Bird Entry that I find are really great at just calming me down. Thank you. I love that. I love that for you. I love that for anybody. It's the best. Scott's uh, yeah. Scott's music is amazing. Yeah, go go check it out. Thank you. Yeah, he did the music for Entume's, um short films, and yeah. I always forget to mention it. You did a a remix of a Curse Mayfield song in Whiteface. Yeah, that I fucking loved, and I always I always mean to ask you if, if you can send me a version of the remix because I just I want that remix. It's um. It's one from the Soul album. I think it's if there's hell below, we're all gonna go. Oh, I, I know, I know the, I know the song you're referencing. Um, I I know the song. Um, yeah, I think that. And I'm a huge Curtis Mayfield fan. And if you remind me, I may be able to find the session where it has that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, his first Soul album is my favorite one. More more Superfly, which is crazy. I know, but I like it more Superfly. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, you can find the show on Twitter shoot, uh, pian- at the Piano Player Pod. Uh, John, what's your I'm thing? I'm at Quasar Sniffer on Twitter and Instagram, where you can find me talking about uh, leftist politics, Jesus, and comic books and heavy metal. Hmm. Right. And uh, Scott, I, uh, are are you uh, doing online stuff? Are you? Are 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 you saying and skipping that? Skipping it. Yeah, you're a smart one here. <laughs> okay, For so sure. yeah, this. Yeah, so uh, see you guys next time. Uh, for whatever it is, uh, I will release uh, after this or before this. So uh, yeah, uh, be nice to each other, and stop. The show can be found on Twitter at PianoPlayerPod. Our email is still highlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art at com. and thank you for listening.